0: Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com
1: Ladies and gentlemen. Billy Hallowell and Chris Field. The Church Boys. From the sublime to the
2: ridiculous. But mostly ridiculous. It's a wonderful Sunday I
1: hate these guys yes we are here we are not going skiing right billy oh, you're, just, uh, <laughs> you're starting with that again all right yeah we're here we're here hey we are we are back it's the church boys chris field here billy hallowell wherever it is he is and um billy has used his many connections as many of you may know billy has starred in a number of motion pictures <laughs> And Billy has used his access once again uh, to connive some lovely starlet to be on this show. Billy, would you like to introduce our guest as as we get rolling here?
3: You, you're out of control. Yeah. So no, we, I, we've actually been doing this newer format that we like where we start the show with an interview. So that's what we're doing today. And we have, um, my friend Megan Alexander, who is a national correspondent at inside edition and also is a special correspondent for Thursday night football. Megan, how are you doing today?
2: Hey guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
3: So, well, the real reason we're having you too is a, you haven't been on, I don't think you've been on the show yet. We've, I've interviewed you in the past and we're friends and we, we get to see each other occasionally, but But the real reason is you have a book that is coming out, and I'm very excited about it. The book is called Faith in the Spotlight, Thriving in Your Career While Staying True to Your Beliefs. Um, And you have had really, I think, an incredible career, and you continue to have an incredible career. And then here you are putting out a book that I think comes at a time when a lot of people are trying to find a balance in so many ways between faith and, and work and life. And so... I guess let's just dive in to the first question, which in my mind is what was it that that made you want to write this book?
2: Yeah. Well, listen, I wanted to be on your show and this was the only Obviously. way to get on. I had to finally write a book. So <laughs> finally, see, see, Billy.
3: <laughs> so there thank you, you for finally
2: having <laughs> me. It was a two and a half year project to, to get on your show to write oh, the book. I love uh, it. Yeah. Yes. Well, Bill, you know this, and, and Chris, I'll share with you and your viewers that I got an email from a pastor in Seattle a couple years ago, and he wrote, Megan, I have a church full of young, ambitious women of faith. They have big career goals and dreams, but they're worried they're going to need to compromise their faith to get that sort of climb the ladder. And he said, I have very few role models to point them towards, but I know of you. Would you be interested in coming and speaking to these ladies in our church? And I was very touched because I know how important role models were for me and still are for me in my life. And so I said, I would love to come and speak to these women at your church. I'm going to take it a step further. I'm also going to write this book. So that was sort of the final push for me to get down on paper. What I had been feeling for a while, that there wasn't a book for the young, ambitious woman of faith that has, you know, those big career desires in the secular world, in the corporate world, but still wants to figure out how she can make her family proud and hold true to her faith. So it's a practical book that got a lot of different ways that we tackle that question and that conversation.
3: Well, and what I love about you and I can't even remember how we first met, I mean, we were emailing for a while. Somebody had a bunch of people had told me how great you were and how we had to, we had to meet. And it's, you know, it's not, ra- I guess it's kind of rare, you know, in New York city to find other Christians who are working in media you know, and or entertainment in some way um, and, and sort of connecting with those people. So, you know, after we connected and I started to hear your story and, and sort of look at what it is you do, what I find the most fascinating is you not only I mean, here you've written a book to help anybody thrive in their career while staying true to their faith, but you are working in an industry that I think is even harder than a lot of others um, in media and dealing with entertainment and, and sort of just across the board, trying to hold on to values in a place where there may not be as many people who hold those values. And, and there are a lot of other places where you could work that are like that, too. But I think media tends to be one that has a, a higher proportion of people maybe who aren't. What are what are some of the challenges that come along with that? And how have you um, come to learn how to, to remedy those different um, elements?
2: Sure, Well, I got to be honest with you guys. When I first pursued this industry, I didn't really think about it. I I just wanted to be a good reporter, a good host. I thought God had blessed me with communication skills and a desire to perform and tell stories. So I really just began, you know, putting one foot in front of the other, getting that first job in radio, which led to another job, which led to finally a, a door opening in television. But being raised in a Christian home, my faith being very important to me, I started kind of wondering how it was all going to fit together. And for me, it wasn't one big moment. You know, I think sometimes we hear people preach or talk about that one moment when you'll take a stand and it'll be, you know, your defining moment. For me, it's been a lot of small conversations along the way, relationships that have developed. Um, I really believe, for me, I I really want people to develop relationships in the business. You know, I, I think to change culture We must engage culture. I am one of those people that believes you need to have a seat at the table. You know, I'm at Inside Edition. I'm in the newsroom when stories are coming in and and story ideas are are being decided for the show. And just being in the room, I'm able to offer my opinion, just be another voice. You know, I I really believe that a lot of the folks in the media, it's not that they're against faith and religion and values. It just tends to collect a lot of people that maybe church is not a big part of their life it's just not on the forefront of their mind um you guys know this you have to be kind of a crazy workaholic to make it in new york <laughs> city long hours lots of red eye flights and it takes a lot of stamina yeah. you know you really got to get in there and work hard so you know my thing is that I'll, i wanted to be known to, for being a good reporter first and a good host and then along the way i've had opportunities to have conversations to be involved in projects to get that small part on a secular television show or in a movie. And that's when those relationships are formed. And you're I think you're able to be more of an influence that way than standing back, being on the outside and just preaching and talking about it. I really think you need to get in there and be a part of the solution.
1: Wow. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Megan I was were you gonna say something, Chris? I was gonna say Megan, I was moved by the um, what you said about putting... The the thought that went into what you did to to put this book together and why you wrote it. I don't know if you've heard, Billy's actually written a book and he's in the middle of a second book. And you've put way more thought into your book than he did in the two books that you've done combined. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, that's, I, I don't know
2: about that. Uh, we, no, we'll it, see. We'll it, see it, how it, it does, no, right? Exactly. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how
1: it goes. No, no, it Billy, it true. <laughs> Billy has... Billy has repeatedly regaled me with tales of what it's like on the movie sets and that sort of thing, and how hard it is to keep your faith on set. Uh, for someone who actually is in movies and people actually want to look at on their televisions, uh, what would you say to, to those who say how how is it how do you keep your faith in those in those areas when you're in this celebrity world? It seems to me that um, there's a lot the temptations are a lot more upfront for you and and the pressure peer pressure or career pressure or whatever else uh, is right there just in your face how do you deal with that
2: Sure well I'll give you two examples the first one is is from inside edition you know on our show we tend to cover the golden globes the academy awards all the big award shows of course which are covering movies and big celebrities and after they've walked the red carpet the next day our show tends to talk about what the celebrities wore. Okay, what dress did Angelina Jolie wear and how can we get our viewers a similar dress at a fraction of the price? Hers cost $20,000. We want to show you a dress that costs $100. And I will often, as one of the female reporters, model those dresses on the show in a story the next day. And I write about this in the book. One particular award show a couple years ago, a certain reality star had walked the red carpet in a very revealing dress, showed a lot of skin, it, it just wasn't something I would have chosen. And sure enough, the next day I was told, hey, we want to put you in that star's dress. <laughs> and I, I felt uncomfortable. I just was like, you know, it's not for me. It's just showing way too much skin. Right. Good for her. But I, I would I would not choose that dress for myself. And I don't feel comfortable wearing it on national television. And I got a lot of pushback. No, you need to wear this dress. It's the hot celebrity of the moment. And I tell young people, work the problem. Take a deep breath and go, okay. I don't want to do that, but I need to offer them a plan B. I need to work the problem and offer them a solution. Right. So what I did was I, I took a couple moments and I looked around the room. We're hustling and bustling. We've got a deadline. Figured this story out in a couple of hours. I said, hey, Heidi Klum wore this cute black dress. It covers up. I, I feel comfortable in it. It's it's more modest. Let me go get it. Let me let me figure this out. I went and got the black dress, put it on, You know, showed the stylist, I know we can do this. Here's how she wore her hair. And eventually I got them to go, okay, okay, yeah, that'll work. Let's do that one, and then we'll put that dress on another model. So listen, I, I gave them a plan B. I was able to hold true to my values and stand for what I believe in. But listen, guys, I'm on a national television show where people are feeding their families because of this show. They need the paycheck. I can't just say no and stop the whole train. So in the book, I try to offer people practical solutions for how they can work the problem. But, you know, every now and then there will be a time where you'll need to pick and choose your battles and decide what's something I'm going to stand on where it's just going to be an absolute, you know, a definite for me, a yes or a no, or am I okay compromising and figuring things out? And there's another time I write about in this book where I got an offer to have a small part in a television drama that is on TV right now. It just won an Emmy, very popular drama. And oftentimes you're you're given the script in the mail and they usually just give you your part. Um, to read for the director, but every now and then they'll give you a page or two in front of your scene and after your scene. And I just flipped to the front of that script and my heart sank because my role was coming right after an incredibly graphic Scene with everything you can name that we wouldn't want our kids to see on television more or less I don't want to see on television, right? And I just thought my scenes coming right after I just can't do this I just I don't think there's anything redeeming about this show. Sometimes you can find something Redeeming about the scene. There wasn't anything I said to my agent. I'm sorry. I can't do it I got a lot of pushback, you know And I was taking a risk that that agent would never call me again, but I said no I can't do it didn't hear from folks for a while but sure enough, after a while, the script started coming in again, and I got another opportunity on a better show, much more in accordance with my values. So okay. again, pick and choose your battles, figure out when you want to take a stand, and when you can compromise and work the problem.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So the person, the I'm just curious, was it Jim, the one who wound up wearing the dress?
2: Oh, Jim! <laughs> No, it was oh, Jim Murray, one of our reporters on Inside Edition. Okay. No, wasn't, wasn't him. There's another model that we oh, worked okay. with. You oh. are funny. Would he, I'm sure he could have done oh, it. Yeah. If he don't, to. don't humor him.
3: You <laughs> would not have thought fabulous. Funny. That's all he, he would have looked fabulous. Do not. <laughs> He's unfunny. Um, I, yeah, no, I think the working the problem thing is really interesting because we're all going to face. I mean, there are plenty of things that, you know, when I was at the Blaze or, or wherever you are where you could be asked to cover something where you could say, I'm not going to do this. And you kind of have to pick and choose your your battles you know if it's something that really if you can work around it in some way i love that idea of offering a solution of saying you know i don't want to do this but what if we do that i think a lot of times there's like the the culture war mentality that people have um, is just to say no and then you dig your heels in and then there's a there's a battle in there you know, of wits that doesn't need to happen when you could offer another solution for something um you know i don't think we hear enough of that so i, I really appreciate that i really do
2: Oh, thank um, you. I think that's that's real life, isn't it? That's the real world. I wanted to I wanted to be very real in this book and say this it's what it's like on the set. You know, it's not it's not that perfect cookie cutter um situation that we hear about in church or we're taught in college. You know, it's real world stuff. So
1: does well, that does that it, ring true with your experience, Billy? Um my experience of what are you gonna <laughs> your, insult? Is this a, are you setting movie, up for an insight? Your movie experience are you ask your about movie my Hollywood experience. Yeah, your raptured. movie Hollywood experience. Did you know behind. Billy did uh, you know Billy was raptured, Megan? <laughs>
3: My clothing had a bigger appearance than I did and and, <laughs> moved, and left behind. It was very sad. But um, and the pair of jeans, which I bring up all the time that I use, they happen to be my jeans. And I never got them back. They went to wardrobe. And I never saw them again. So I was very. Oh,
2: you no, they you didn't lose them. Somebody took them because they wanted a piece of your That's greatness. Right. Exactly. There you go. See? I'm sure somebody on set was like, oh, my gosh, I got his jeans. I, there have, you go, told, I have told him <laughs> how many exactly.
1: times. Exactly. <laughs> well, Chris, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Nope, go, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. Get your insult in. Nope, up. it's fine. Go ahead. It's Megan's waiting for the, your next brilliant <laughs> question, Billy. All right, fine. Well, that I actually, I wanted to
3: ask you about this because I know that the vast majority of the book is about career and about the things we've been talking about, but you get into a topic, um, a couple of topics, but you get into one subject that you've spoken out a lot about. And one thing I really admire and love about you is is talking about abstinence, something we don't hear enough about. And here you are um, in, a, in a position that makes you a role model for people coming out and talking about the importance of abstinence. You include a chapter in the book on this. What made you decide to put that in, in this book?
2: Yeah. You want to clear a room or quiet a room, start talking about <laughs> abstinence in New York city. <laughs> exactly. Oh boy. Yeah, this is another situation guys, where again, it was, it was how I wanted to be. I was raised in a Christian home, made this commitment myself in, in high school and, you know, just knew this is who I wanted to be and held out for a guy that agreed with me, but I never thought I would talk about it publicly, you know, it was a person decision obviously folks at our wedding and close family and friends knew of our decision to wait until we were married but never thought i'd speak out about it uh, but uh, uh, my pastor in, in new york city called me one day a couple years ago and said i just got a phone call from a christian women's magazine whoa women magazine and they want to do a cover story on someone in the entertainment industry that is a um fan of abstinence that is a you know spokesperson for abstinence Mm. that believes in it in her own life and she said I'm having a hard time finding somebody (laughs) in the entertainment world but I know of you would you be interested in this and I talked to my husband about it and said hey how do you feel about us going public with our story and he said to me something that he's said to me many times um, since then if it encourages one person it's worth it. Yeah. So we decided to share our story and our story came out in that magazine. And we always give our boss at Inside Edition a heads up whenever we're doing outside projects, when we've got a part in a movie, when we're writing a book. So I put that magazine on his desk with a little post-it note just to give him a heads up about this magazine cover and article. Cause you know, I want him to be the first to know I expected him to just push the magazine aside and go, okay, I got an email from my boss at Inside Edition that night, and he said, Megan, I read the article. I think it's compelling. I want to share your story on Inside Edition. That's cool picked up the phone, called my husband. "Um, Honey, how do you feel about six million people learning our personal story? But once again, we said, hey, if it encourages one person, it's worth it. And why I included it in the book, guys, is sometimes our personal decisions, they do affect our professional lives. And those personal decisions can really have a public impact. And I think the young generation just simply doesn't know this is an option, it's so unusual to talk about abstinence anymore that I just want those young people that are faced with an incredible amount of pressure to just jump into bed and not even think about things to know, hey, this is still a relevant option. It worked for me. It can work for you. Let's talk about it. Um, it is perfectly okay to wait. That's why I decided to include that chapter because uh, other people, I want them to be encouraged that their personal lives and decisions um, could inspire others too.
1: so it's, it's so it's the it's the abstinence angle, but is it also, I mean, because your book is about your career? I mean, what ninety percent of it is, and you've got this this chapter about that is is that, I often wonder about uh, about people in TV and movies. There's there's always the stories about the casting couch, right? And the sex, the, you know, trading sex to be able to be on screen. Is that something that you sure. are familiar? Not you personally. <laughs> that sounds a weird way to word it. Is that something <laughs> yeah. that you uh, <laughs> understand? Yeah. Act- is that still is that still a, a common thing uh, in TV and movies? far as you know
2: that is an excellent question and the tighter the title of the chapter in my book is called sleep your way to the top mm. and that is because you are right a lot of people feel they're going to, need to be in those types of situations to get ahead i am proud to say i have never encountered that in my industry i have heard about it mm. I, friends have shared with me that they've been in situations like that I have never been, but I will say I'm aware that it's going on. Now, I think sometimes I'm such a feisty, ambitious girl that I've just kind of, you know, people know where I stand and I'm just all about work and I really want to deliver. I I don't often, you know, make the after work party or do the drinks because, again, I'm flying around the country. I'm trying to pack my schedule, you know, as make impact as I can. But yes, that is still there. Mm. And I want people to know, hey. I was able to maintain my values and still make it, if you will. I'm really lucky that I've had a lot of really great bosses in my my career so far. So I want people to know that there are good people out there. Yes, that happens, but there are also a lot of really good people in our industry that we don't hear about, and I think if we open up this conversation talk about it. You know, you hear women say that, you know, if if other women are feeling discriminated against in the business, well, ladies, you need to push ahead and get that corner office. So you're the one making the decision. I feel the same way about people of faith. Mm. Work hard, be excellent at your job so that you're the boss one day. And obviously, you can eliminate the casting couch because you're the one making decisions, right. and you can do it the appropriate way. So, yeah, that chapter was in there definitely for that okay. for that Good. conversation as well.
3: Good. Why would you say? And because I, I think, and it's it's sort of a silly question to the three of us because I think we know the answer to it, but there are maybe people listening who don't know the answer to it. Um, why would you say that abstinence is an important decision and was an important one for you? the, you know, the benefits of it, the reason why. People should consider it as an option.
2: Sure. Well, for me, you know, I've always wanted to be the best person that I could be. Always been into setting goals, having um, big projects down the pipe. And I came to a point in my faith where I really understood, okay, God wants all of me. He wants me to commit my entire life to him. And that is one part of our lives, isn't it? A very big part of our lives. And I want to be the best that I can be for the Lord listen, I say this, guys, I am very aware that this is a very difficult decision and topic for a lot of people, especially young people out there that are in an environment where this this conversation simply doesn't come up. They don't think they have an option. So that's another reason that I talk about it is, you know, peer pressure and being influenced by who we hang around is, is so true and so important in life. Um, you know, for me also, I, I just knew I needed to hold that my, to myself and offer it just to my husband because how, how God created me. I mean, I was just lucky to have a lot of friends in high school where we tapped into, you know, the concept, we had a conversation one day that, Hey, whoever you're dating is somebody's future husband or wife. Right. And when you start thinking in that mindset, everything that you do could either be helping and aiding or taking away from their future spouse. It really gets you to think, okay, what do I want to do? How far do I want to go? What are my boundaries? Right. And so for me, I just made the commitment to God and to my future husband that I was just going to save that. I don't think we save a lot of things and have you know many surprises in life anymore with all of our technology and everything that we have access to. So I just decided I wanted to hold, hold on to that. And, and marriage is tough enough in this world, guys. And, and look yeah. at how many marriages are breaking apart. And I think that waiting was just one more way that I could try to fortify my marriage in this world and um, make it the best that it could be. Now, my husband did not wait. He came to the faith later in life, yeah. and when he he and I started dating, um, he'd, he'd been a Christian for a couple years, and he made that decision with me, and I, I think it's important to talk about that and to offer encouragement to anybody that didn't wait and wants to consider it later in life that it's absolutely possible, you know, and we're we're lucky that we serve a God that loves us no matter what, You know, thank goodness for, for that. And again, it's just an important conversation to have, but for me, it has worked out and it's been great. And I want other people to know that, that it is possible,
3: you know, I would add one thing to this that I think is interesting, too. I mean, studies have shown that we live in a world where it's be, it has become harder and harder. Although we've, we've seen that, you know, teen statistics and there have been some encouraging statistics on the surface that show that it's sort of slowed down a little bit. People are even people in their 20s aren't having sex as much outside of marriage than they were before. But then there are some disturbing and depressing reasons why that might be happening. But without getting into all of that, I think, um, you know, I think. It is really an important thing to try to encourage young people to wait, because even if they don't wait, OK, which the goal is for, you know, if you're trying to get people to wait, the goal is for them to wait. Um, when you bring people up, young people up and encourage them to do that, they tend overall to wait longer to start doing it. And so which I think is an interesting element to all of this and that that is just a healthier decision across the board, even if even if you're an atheist and not a Christian, you um, you know, waiting longer puts you at less risk for so many, so many different things. Um, So I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by the whole, by the whole discussion. And I love that you're willing to talk about it. So, you know, so openly, Um, Chris, any, any final questions?
1: Do you and your husband do any um, like marriage retreat kind of stuff? Is there, is there anything that you're a part of as a couple that you help lead other couples in, you know, uh, relationship advice and that sort of thing? Is that Is that anywhere in your timeline or your plans?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, just just as (laughs) just as we go to the doctor for a checkup, we go to the dentist twice a year. We believe that we need to be checking in with our pastor and checking in with marriage counseling. How's our marriage doing? How are we? Are we helping each other? Are we serving each other? So absolutely, we attend marriage retreats. I I try to do them once a year. That's not always possible with our schedule. But absolutely, we still check in with the pastor who married us, um, a wonderful guy named Michael Crocker, who's a Methodist pastor, a Methodist uh, preacher in San Antonio, Texas. We check in with him. He's like, how are you guys doing? You know, what's going on in your lives right now? Older couples that we admire who are role models in our lives. We try to check in with those people. It is so important to have that community and support and accountability. And for my husband Brian and I, there's a young couple... Um, that just got married a couple years ago. And um, the, the the gal, she, I mentored her in New York City a couple years ago. I got involved in an organization that tried to match up people in the entertainment industry, somebody in their early twenties that just moved to the city with someone that had been there for a while. And um, I mentored her all through meeting this guy, dating him, getting married. And now my husband and I try to check in on that younger person couple and pay it forward and, um, you know, encourage them. I, you know, we, we all need to do that for each other, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's important. I mean, if you don't, then pretty soon you get too busy and you forget what it's all about.
1: Yeah. And I I love that people like you've got this platform that, that many people, including me and Billy, well, me anyway, Billy's a celebrity, but who don't, don't, (laughs) uh, a platform that other people don't have, where you can go out and promote (laughs) these things. and, And when I hear someone, you know, in your position, coming out and advocating marriage and family stuff i uh, we got we got to push that more and more and and i think billy you and i need to hook uh megan if if you don't know kirk cameron and his wife chelsea already they've become friends of ours and we need to hook you up with them because they're doing a lot of marriage and family stuff that that i think that you your voice would would couple nicely with theirs what they're saying guys
2: guys i would love that and i gotta tell you um, Kurt Cameron spoke at my college. I attended Westmont College, which is a small Christian college in Santa, Bar- Santa Barbara, California. Mm. Kurt Cameron came and did a really cool talk one night about um, marriage and abstinence mm. to um, the campus. And it made a profound impact on me. And he spoke about his wife, Chelsea, and their relationship. Right. So th- those are defining moments in our lives. And I'd love to share that with him all these years later say what yeah, it I'm sure he it would love, on me.
3: that would be great i sure would love that we actually both had a chance to spend some time with them in california independently uh, recently and and it was really interesting to see people because you know it's so rare that people are walking the walk that they're talking you know and and, and talking the walk and walking the talk and i think they're they're doing that um right. in an in, in an incredible way that was my experience at least yeah, yeah that's so. yeah
2: that's fantastic That's that's awesome
3: well where can people get your book megan
2: Yeah, so my book is available right now on Amazon. It officially comes out October 4th um, in all the bookstores everywhere, but, you know, I think it'll be out a couple days early. And you can go to faithinthespotlight.com for more information. And if anybody listening wants to join in, I'm doing a live book signing online Monday night, October the 3rd from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can log on to livesigning.com forward slash Megan and ask me a question and get a book signed right there and I'll mail it to you. I can personalize it and ask me a question about anything you want. I'd love to connect with people that way.
3: I love Very it. Cool. I love it. That's great. Well, we'll have to have you back, too. Now that you've written a book, you can come out as much as you want. <laughs> Was
2: I okay? Did I pass the test, <laughs> guys? Did You're I pass great. the test?
3: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, <laughs> we're, we're going
1: to hang up on you now and then talk about you, so if that's all right with you. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, be good things. it'll be good
3: things. I promise. <laughs>
2: Thank you guys for right. your support. Megan. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Megan.
1: you, Megan. Right. We'll talk soon. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. She's awesome. She is awesome. Is she gone? She's, uh, she's gone. Megan, are you gone? Oh, there she there she is. she's gone, and she's gone. So audio's doing some really weird <laughs> stuff. Well, we'll we'll deal with this in commercial in the break here in a minute. But boy, what a fascinating, I mean, what a fascinating career and life she's had. And, and you know, Inside Edition has got to be a tough place to be because you know it's it's news and celebrity and sports and just all sorts of. I mean, that's talk about getting getting into the lion's den. That's a crazy world. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's no set of left behind, but I mean, it's.
3: <laughs> well it's i think what nuts. i what i love about her is that she's just dives right in and, yeah. and doesn't and again is somebody who who you know walks the talk and and talks the walk and yeah. i i love saying that so i'm just gonna keep apparently, saying that but no she she is a do. great person and i've subjected her to sarah Ravette and she's oh, been able no, to handle it no wait, so. wait
1: wait wait when did you do this and why
3: Maybe two years ago, we went out um, and had, you know, we went out and each had a drink and talked. And uh, Megan, w- you know, got got to meet Sarah, and so it was interesting. You know, I've known Megan for a few years now, and, okay. and we actually just yesterday sat down and, and caught up. And I was like, wait, you have to come on on the podcast. I knew she had the book coming. I was like, you've got to, Because when I was at right, right. the Blaze, we actually interviewed her a few times. In, um, fact, in
1: fact, in fact, that chance encounter from yesterday is something that maybe we can talk about uh, when we come back. Oh, boy.
0: Okay, we'll be right back. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. realestateagentsitrust.com
1: The Church Boys. Man, I
0: hate these guys.
1: So we promised that when we came back, did we promise? I said that we would. Talk about your chance encounter with Miss Megan, who we just interviewed, which was fabulous, by the way. She seems like a lovely person. And why she allows herself to be seen with you or near you is beyond me. Uh, well, it wasn't totally you,
3: a chance encounter. I had, I had a meeting in the city, and I knew she was in town still because right. she had a book release party. So right. even more we sur- met.
1: Uh, I said, hey, let's, let's meet up before my meeting. Even more surprising so is did. that she agreed to come on and didn't hang up during the interview. So... <laughs> <laughs> or
3: after the intro.
1: <laughs> What's wrong uh, with these men? So, all right. So, tell us about the little event that you and Megan met up at uh, this week in New York. Can you tell us well, about she, it? She was not actually there. She just came to meet with me beforehand. She okay. was not inside, in the meeting. But, oh, she's um she's not She's not, was, she, doesn't, it, she doesn't have the kind of access you have, is what you're saying. That's not at all what I I'm saying. I don't even know how I ended up in this
2: meeting. It was Megan, like pulling a homeless person I off the hope, side of the road. I, I hope, hope they that, were thinking.
1: <laughs> I, um, hope, I hope that Megan is listening to her interview, and she happened to just keep it on as we progressed. And uh, you revealed the fact that she doesn't have quite the access or cachet that you do um, when it comes to um, these kinds of things. Now, this is the event that last week you'll remember that I was very good about not mentioning. Because we weren't we weren't to mention it, but now we can. Um, yes, okay. yeah, we can. I okay. I went
3: to a meeting um, at Trump Tower w- with Donald Ooh, Trump and a number of other um, individuals, faith leaders, people who work at colleges and universities, and and we spent about an hour listening and dialoguing with Donald Trump. How so yes, see? and 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 there's a picture that's floated around. I, it was not a <laughs> picture of me endorsing. Just to clarify, because up I know this not mean an endorsement? This this it it was a thumbs up because the thumbs up is funny. And, but hasn't Donald Trump always done the thumbs up? Right. Well that's
1: no? what he and Ted Cruz did before Cruz ever endorsed him. they have their pictures of right. the two it's of them a with a thumbs joke. up. It's yes, like funny, absolutely. you know? Yes,
3: if Hillary it. Clinton came up to me, and I would stare down, and I'd look down at her, and
1: I would say, Hillary, let's take a photo together, yes. and I would do it. Absolutely. It's now, very short. L- let me say this so that you don't have to, because you don't believe this, but I do. Okay? So I'm going to go ahead and say this, just as a blanket statement for everyone. Anyone? <clears throat> is this on? Can you hear me, Billy? I'm make sure this is on. I you, can. You can hear me mm-hmm. again. <clears throat> Anyone who sees Billy's photo and considers it any sort of an endorsement for Donald Trump on Billy's behalf, It's a moron. So I'll just go and leave it (laughs) at that.
3: There are people, (laughs) one person's like, how dare you? Why would you ever solicit this? You know, you're soliciting this for likes. It's like, no, no, I just posted a photo that I thought was interesting. I would post a photo with Hillary, with Nancy Pelosi, with anybody. In fact, I have a picture with Dennis Kucinich. That I posted on social well, media obviously, right, so,
1: right after I, you endorsed him. I wasn't endorsing him. him. Right after you endorsed uh, Dennis Kucinich, you had your picture taken with him, and now you've done the same with Donald Trump, obviously. <laughs> as anyone can tell, Billy. It's,
3: I can't. But What so I idiotic. would say is I think the meeting didn't change my mind at all. Sorry, I'm holding back a yawn. The meeting didn't change my mind at all about, about anything. and but, but it was interesting. And I think, look, whenever a politician is willing, and a lot of times they do it just for votes, and I don't, I'm not going to judge anybody's intention. But whenever they're willing to listen to a group of people, I think it's interesting. I, I think if they're going to sit down and listen to people voice their concerns, that's a good thing. And so to sit in on a meeting was – look – I wasn't going to pass the offer up. I thought it was an interesting opportunity. I would do it if Hillary Clinton called for the you know and, and asked me and other people to come and listen to her. I would go. I don't think that will ever happen. Are but you, if
1: she did, I'd listen. Are you allowed to say what the topic of the meeting was?
3: Um, I, it was a meeting of what I will say. It was a meeting of Catholics and evangelicals, and and it was you know discussion about religious freedom, um, oh. and and concerns that the, that those populations have. So, oh. uh, look. Uh, what I one thing I would say about Donald Trump that I found interesting is he asked a lot of questions and did a lot of listening, which I've heard about past meetings. That this is a hallmark of those past meetings. That he, you, know, you would expect that he would sit there and lecture you and ramble about whatever. And, right. uh, but, but there was, of course, some discussion. He, he did a little of rambling and talking, but there was a of lot course. of listening and asking questions. So, that's that's interesting. That's what presidential candidates should be doing. So it seems they should it, be
1: asking and listening. It seemed to you like a an honest and thoughtful conversation about a very important topic. You'd say that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. I wish there were there are some things that I wish you could tell people i you know and i'm sure i didn't wear a dress i wore a beautiful suit um well, i was dressed up that, in that endorsement picture that you posted that was you looked lovely you and he both <laughs> so. uh, but a lot of people are like is that a cardboard cutout because he looks so
3: orange it's my like my wife
1: no, that's donald trump it's okay um, let me ask but, you this let me ask you this and you if you can't answer this does he seem orange in person or is it just like photos and tv kind of stuff he it's feels weird. Like it's that. He didn't
3: look as orange
1: to me sitting there
3: as he did when I, after the picture was taken. I, and I don't know if that's like an optical illusion. Like you're maybe there's something about his skin that when you look at it, it's like oh, he looks not orange. And then I mean, it, it definitely looks a little. It looks like there's a tan of some sort happening, right? But it was it looks way more orange in pictures. So I So or, orange-ish then. Orange-ish, yeah, definitely. Orange. Uh, but. I would emphasize again, it was not an endorsement. So I know for the people who, for some reason, can't process why anybody would take a picture with... Look, are there not people you don't like that you would take pictures with? Yeah. I mean, I would take pictures with almost anybody famous to try to land a role in
1: a film, probably. Speaking of the casting casting couch, (laughs) just what kind of photos (laughs) are you willing to... Just what kind of photos are you willing to pose for, Billy? (sighs) Ugh. I don't know. <laughs> to land those movie roles that you so desperately seek that and some sort of appearance on Broadway. <clears throat> so, oh, I've never done Broadway. That's not a bad idea. I know what well, you tried. Remember when we had the Amazing Grace people on you tried to angle for a some sort of I mean, I'm not going to wear white tights way. or anything like that. So there's no way it's Broadway's not happening. Wait, 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 wait. Not- since since when have you had a no tights rule? uh remember the leggings um, since, remember like the, the leggings conversation know, the yoga pants remember the yoga pants debacle <laughs> i'm just <laughs> remembering the picture that you photoshopped of me on a motorized um well there's the other wheelchair. one there well, what was the there was the the spanks thing that you the picture of you in the where they had the gut sucker in her thing the outfit that you're an in. awful person you realize that right <laughs>
3: Well, while we're on the topic of Donald Trump, yes, maybe we should. Can we talk about the debate a little bit? Yes, I think that we should. I know that everyone's over the debate, but there's so many things about the debate.
1: Okay, let me t- let me give you my favorite line from the debate. Okay, now you have to be quiet so you can hear it. I've got to turn this up so you can't be yelling and screaming into your microphone for just one second. Here's my favorite line from the debate.
0: Yes, why aren't I fifty points ahead? You might ask.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't from the debate. <laughs> Still, my favorite line. <laughs> he brought it up during the debate. <laughs> he did. I know he did. He, but he, he 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 referred to it or alluded to it so horribly vague, so, just so horribly and so vaguely. He did. He's such a ham-handed attempt where he could have just come out and said, "Well, anyway," he could have so used he that assumes and he didn't. That people know. He yeah.
3: assumes that people know everything that's going on, which I think is a mistake. Obviously, right. he does that a lot. Yeah, he talks about things and and it's not. In depth or in detail, and you're yeah. kind of like, "Oh, but that, I mean, look the video, she even smiled that? when he said that she
1: seemed unstable or whatever in the in the video. <laughs> I mean, she even knew she'd look nuts. <laughs> but I thought, what did you So there's always the debate. Who won the debate? Who won the debate? who Who did you feel won that debate? and and how did and how do you come to that conclusion?
3: I felt that neither of them won the debate. I know Why? and I've gotten I posted that I thought nobody won and I got tons of nasty, I mean like horrible nasty feedback oh, yeah. from people about how I must be delusional. I felt like she might have edged him out slightly when you compare when you take the last part of it cuz she really finished strong in that debate. Yes. Um he started strong, she finished strong and she got him. I I think he gave there were a lot of points where If you were advising Donald Trump, you would have said, why are you not going for the jugular on these things? Why are you not going crazy on the emails? Why are you not going? Honestly, I thought it was sort of weird to me. If you're going to bring up the fact – nobody's going to believe that you're nice, Donald Trump. So if you're going to bring up the fact that you were going to go after Bill Clinton but you decided not to because Chelsea was in the room, you might as well have gone after Bill Clinton. She went after him pretty hard, and the things she said were relevant. But it's also true that – and I'm not – this is – people are going to like clip this and make it sound like a – Only one person on that stage is married to somebody who's been accused of some pretty horrific things. So whether those things are true or not, the accusations have continued to be be made. And I'm not saying he should have brought them up, but I'm saying – it's strange that he alluded to the fact he was going to say something, but then right. just didn't. I he, didn't understand he
1: that. He knew it was something that—it that, the that was red meat that his people would love, and yet he chose not to do it. I mean, he, <laughs> the fact that he discussed it before the debate means he thought about doing it and then chose not to, and, I, and I'm really intrigued why. And he claims—yeah, like you said, he claims that it was because Chelsea <laughs> was in the room. That's BS. I don't believe that for a second. But
3: <clears throat> Now, Chelsea I, and his daughter are friends, apparently,
1: Ivanka. Yeah. yeah. Speaking so, of Ivanka— Which is interesting. It does make you wonder. Speaking of Ivanka— was she at the meeting?
3: So all of a sudden, because my back was to the doorway, um, you know, you see, you hear, me, you know, Trump say, "Oh, Ivanka," and you, and you turn around, and she's like walking through the doorway into this meeting, and so she very briefly made an appearance and said hello to everybody. Um, and I happened to be standing there, so I shook hands with her and said hello. And um, was, she was very
1: nice, and yeah. and then she was gone as quickly as she arrived. No, she is. On television, she's stunning. <laughs> is she stunning in person, or is that just a persona, television persona? She, no, she is. Really? She is. She yeah. se- seemed, like, seemed like a nice enough person, or is she just not enough time to make that judgment? There wasn't enough
3: time to assess, but my my impression of her over the years, just watching like everybody else, is that she seems to be a very intelligent person, a yeah. uh, very you know devoted. There's no way you could pretend for that long. I mean, his kids all seem very competent, very well put together. Right. They do. Right. I know everyone wants to... It doesn't matter what you think about Donald Trump. His kids appear to be—we right. um, don't know enough about his his young one, Baron, youngest right. one—but the other ones appear to be very well put together. Yeah, yeah. You I don't agree. hear a lot of negative things about them. I agree. Now, I, Joy Behart doesn't like that he's a big game hunter, but other than that, you know, she doesn't <laughs> like. You remember that that view <laughs> yes, segment where he's like, yeah. "I
1: don't like that she's Donald Trump Jr. is a big game hunter." Let's um, just go back. back to the kids and shut controversy. Up. So, so um. On the debate, I thought I, I would have said that Hillary won that debate because she seemed just more composed and prepared. But he was really strong. Now, I didn't agree with a lot of his trade. His trade protectionist policies that he advocates I, are things I don't agree with. And the idea of forcing companies to leave their money here or they would be able to bring their money into the company. What, his His trade protectionist policies, I do not agree with. However, I thought that that's when he appeared the strongest was when he spoke on trade in that first, I don't know, first third of the first half hour of the of the debate. I thought that's, I thought he owned that first half hour. I, did I, think, I agree. I, did I think, did I agree with what he said? No, but did I think that he won? Yeah, I think that he did that first portion. But I think if I had to, if I had to if you put a gun to my head and say, declare a winner, I'd say Hillary. But really, for the most part, and I think we talked about this before, at least just on in the Twitterverse or whatever, is the most unforgettable debate I've ever watched, at least in the last 20 years. I, who, yeah i guess when so i was not it was just silly it was just dumb
3: <laughs> when i say i think they they it was a stalemate i don't feel like anybody blew the other one out of the water i think she edged him a little bit yeah. I, I i think because she finished strong had he finished strong in the last half an hour maybe i'd feel that he edged her a little bit but right. I think she was really strong on that she got her footing like the last 45 minutes she really had her footing right. and a lot of the things you could tell it's like when it's like when a, a child is auditioning <laughs> for a play and they memorize all their lines yes. and they get them just right at yeah. the right time and yeah. it, this is like every politician not just Hillary she you know trumped up trickle down you know like all these <laughs> things that she had practiced over and over and over again Um, you could tell that he was giving her the in for all to deliver all of those because uh, she's yeah she l lo- she said trumped up trickle down like
1: three times i know
3: uh which i thought was a terrible ridiculous yeah, lie yeah. um
1: and on the economy she she came out the washington post put out a piece today giving her three pinocchios for her claim that the bush tax cuts loved the recession they said she's almost four pinocchios except for the fact that she did point out some sort of regulation thing he said they said she almost got four pinocchios got three the tax the, the bush tax cuts had nothing to do with the recession so i thought look, that Trump, was interesting this is an awful liar about. Right. Trump is an awful liar. Yeah, okay,
3: we it. know that he lied about. But but I think there's a level that is troubling in what is happening, in that all of these media outlets, and I understand the outlets that are endorsing Gary Johnson or or are breaking tradition of endorsing Republicans. I get that. Right. But it seems like the media is once again coalescing around Hillary, yeah. and they've you know yeah. the New York Times has made a decision. They're gonna they're gonna print lists of all of Trump's lies. And yeah, he's he's wrong for lying, but. I, my concern is that we then overlook because people are so opposed, they then overlook what's going
1: on on the other side I agree. because they are, you know, so but that's but I that's, wonder that but that's on Trump. I mean, the media needs to point out lies of both, right? Then you, you I agree quote, be I agree. fair, unbiased or whatever. You should point out lies if somebody lies point it out. The problem is the the rate of lying and the the Trump has. and I don't want to say it's simply lying because sometimes it's just, Sometimes you just feel like he's speaking out of his rear end. Like he just says things. He is. Right? He just he just says things. And then those that get those get, you know, uh fact checked or politifact fact or whatever, they, they fact check his the the silly things that he says. Well that it just adds to the list. Yes, that was false, right? Hillary's wearing a green pantsuit today during the debate. Well, she was wearing a red pantsuit, right? Well, he just says silly things. <laughs> So there's another. Add that to the list of false things because of the fact he's not. There are things that he's coming out and saying false things about that he's just speaking silly. That doesn't make it not false, but he's not right, going out of his way point. to simply lie. He's just saying something dumb. And he's like, just shut up. You know, it reminds me of. Did you watch? Go ahead.
3: I was just. Gonna, it's sort of freeing, and you know, like I don't care if if somebody thinks they're a journalist or they think they're not or they think they're a commentator. Like it's freeing no matter who you are to not be to not have an affiliation with either of them and to not really like, it's sort of like, okay, well I, there is, you know, you can say you think one is worse than the other or whatever, but it is sort of freeing to not care for ones. I just, at this point, right. I don't Right. I mean, of course I care about the country, but it's just sort of like, yeah. all right, well yeah. they're both a complete disaster. And so <laughs> really what right. should that look like? And I know some people will disagree with me saying that cause they either like Hillary or they like, or they like Trump, but, um, yeah, have you, have you changed your mind? Are you going to vote, Chris? Have you,
1: Are you going to uh, vote for president? I have, I have not changed my mind. You Don't think you're going to change me. your mind or no? I, I doubt it. Here's the thing. It's, and as I've said before on this show and other places, it's very easy for me to stick to my principles living in Washington State. She's already going to win Washington State. It, my vote on president will not matter in the least
3: i will vote well the on, popular vote matters though I how will, far some how much somebody I will, loses by
1: i will vote on everything else the only place that the, the the republican vote mattered the the my vote if i were to vote for trump i will never vote for hillary if i were to vote for trump the only time that it would ever matter in washington state is to send a message to the republican party that our little county here in this portion of the state Actually has a voice we're a reliable conservative constituency, and you need to pay attention to that. Other than that, there's no it doesn't, and the popular vote doesn't matter. But I'll vote on every. No, but else.
3: I think it matters by how far. It's an optics thing, you know. How far do you lose by? I wonder if it's going to be another situation where Trump wins electoral college and Hillary
1: loses, or Hillary wins popular vote. Oh, they will. the The left will lose their stuff if that happens. I mean, that's talk about uh, talk about it's a very renewed, rare but... talk about a renewed push for that idiotic. Uh, coalition of states that's going to say if they win the popular vote, then we'll give our electoral votes to the popular vote winner. I mean that that movement we talked about last week or the week before with um, with, with the electoral college expert lady. I I'm blanking on names because I'm older than dirt. <clears throat> did you watch? By the <laughs> way, <laughs> I wish we could play it. I wish we had the okay to play it. I don't think that we. I don't know that we can legally. Maybe we could, and I just don't know. But did you watch that clip of South Park that I sent you? The debate. Mr. Garrison versus I didn't, Hillary. I did. Oh, my goodness. Because she is talking about a pre-programmed robot. They told her, they, they showed the pre-debate prep with Hillary and said, what you have to come out and say is, my my opponent is a liar. Don't believe anything he has to say. They come out for the debate, and Mr. Garrison, who's playing the role of Trump, comes out and says, I don't know. I didn't expect to get this far. You should not vote for me. If you vote for me, it will be a disaster you have to vote for her you've got to vote for her and she turns around and says my opponent is a liar do not listen to anything he's and he tells her you have got to get out of your own way because i'm trying to hand this to you and he's just sitting there just with his regrets of like running for this because he mr garrison has run for president and somehow got the nomination the gop nomination by just going out and saying crazy things and never expected to win so anyway billy are you are you there Billy's on, Billy's on the telephone, so. But anyways. I'm so, back. Okay. I'm back. So I'm Mr. i was just I'm t- t- I was just filling people in. On, I have
3: another. I have a radio interview in 13 minutes, so yes. I was just you know dealing with that. Aha. Sorry.
1: Mr. Garrison has run for president, and he's got the nomination by. Say, going Are we still out, on South park? Go, I going out and saying outlandish thing, but you have got to watch this. You have to go watch it. I, I have a policy. I, I don't
3: watch South Park, so I avoid
1: everything but get, that's you gotta, South Park. You've got to watch this, I will, I will this watch clip I because he can't it. get out he's, he's telling the world, do not vote for me, vote for her. And she's responding, don't listen to a word my opponent has to say. He's a liar. And all of her staffers are going, <laughs> shut up. And he goes, he looks at her and goes, would you get out of your own way? I'm trying to hand this to you. And she says, do not listen <laughs> to my opponent. He's a liar. And he <laughs> starts swearing. They've got it all bleeped <laughs> out. And he goes, I am so screwed. Because he doesn't, he knows he's <laughs> he knows he's unqualified to be president. He's trying to lose it because he knows that he will it will it will destroy him to be president. And she keeps getting in her own way. And he's going, I'm going to wind up winning this thing, and I don't want to. <laughs> oh, anyway, so, you love Hillary. You love Hillary, I, you don't love you, Chris? Hillary. Well, she's just hot as can be, you know, in those oh, moo oh, in those moos she wears. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should talk about the heroin
3: thing before we well, go because I think that is oh, important.
1: Speaking of Washington State, uh, God, we are just well, we are governed by morons. It's it, all right.
3: So basically, uh, and this has been going on in Canada for for a while, uh, um, for for years now. But but basically, have, what happens is if you're a heroin addict, the idea is to open up. Two the proposals for two right now government-run injection centers where people can go and use heroin under medical supervision. They don't provide heroin, uh, they don't give you heroin, but you go in. It's a clinic, and you could yeah. use the drug while doctors monitor you in case you overdose. Um, now, this is something that they're hoping can be used. As, as bizarre as it sta- it sounds. Uh, to treat addiction and get people into programs. Um, I don't think that's really that what they,
1: instead of being on the street, you're in a government clinic. Right. But I don't think driver. that I don't think that they're, I don't think that they really want to fix people. I think they're just giving them a safe place to do it because it, a, it gives government people a job and an opportunity to feel good about themselves because they're cla- they're claiming to be worried about the health issue. Like they can come in and use heroin in a clean in a clean place with clean needles and everything, they'll give else. you needles. They right. will give you needles. They'll, give, they'll hand so. out clean. They'll hand out clean needles, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of clean needles, and you can use it in a well lit, clean place. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. They say, well, we don't want people using heroin in you know dark, you know outhouses and that sort of thing, and public restrooms. We need to have them come in here where it's nice and clean. And these folks are they because uh, trust me, this is this is Seattle doing this. Like, this is King County. They don't actually care. They don't want to be judgmental. So they won't come out and say that heroin is bad. They just say, we want you to be able to come do this bad thing, though they won't call it a bad thing. We want you to be able to come do this bad thing in a clean place and we want to take care of you and just love you. And the fact is they don't well, care about say. actually straightening people out. They're not going to do... They they will not. I guarantee it. They will not get these people into clinics at all. They probably won't even now, hand in out can, literature.
3: In, in Canada... In Canada, they actually
1: prescribe
3: it. It, One clinic prescribes a certain amount, and they can control kind of what nurses will even administer it, I believe. Um, But in Canada, they've been doing this for, for, I think, since— 2003 I think it was Um, they have said that in in one of the sites where they do it 70% fewer people are 70% less likely to share needles and are 30% more likely to enter treatment programs now I don't know what the conditions are I think this would be different if it were sort of like and I don't know what the policies will be and I still think it's bizarre and I don't it's but if you were going in and saying you can use once or twice but you have to go directly into treatment you know you, you can we will wean you off and get you into treatment but this is a program you're entering yeah um yeah i don't know because I, I guess my confusion is you're going in you're shooting up you're doing the drug and then you're high and then what they're talking to you about treatment while you're high I, I don't
1: it's, well, it's ridiculous you might as get well it. why not un, instead and people have different opinions about methadone clinics but why not instead open a methadone clinic and say you know what it, you can come in and it, it, anything would be better than this proposal that they're offering, but create this proposal, and this may not but happen. Right, it may but not create happen. this proposal. Cause it was just a, it was a policy thing as a proposal. They said, come up with an idea to deal with this. The, the people in Seattle did. It, it, let well, me take it. Here's one positive thing you could do. You could take this proposal and I don't advocate this proposal. And I don't advocate what I'm about to say, but you can improve this proposal by adding one step to it. These people who come in to use heroin before they use heroin say, We will give you. We will make this a methadone clinic, and you can do the methadone thing treatment instead of heroin, and we will do it for free and do it right now. And instead of heroin, you take the methadone, and then we wean you off of that. It would be better than what they're doing with this proposal.
3: I would love to know how many people in the Canadian clinic have been doing heroin. For The last 10 years, there maybe none you know. Are there people who stay forever and just keep coming back to do it? If you look, if it is true, and, and we have to be fair, here, if it is true that there's a 30% higher chance that people will enter treatment programs and they can prove that, and it's true,
1: the, and the, that the, does and the, beg a question and of whether or not pro, it, and that the programs are effective,
3: right? Right now, but this is Canada too, there's no telling and, that the Canadian system is going to be the same. As the that's US system. Canada, uh, but, Canada, but Canada has another one called Canada. Crosstown, and addicts are actually given a, a heroin's active ingredient up to three times a day by nurses. Yeah. Car- Canada, they can go Canada
1: cannot be trusted. And that's the thing that we have learned living, living up here in a border state. You know, they all talk about Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Texas being border states. Uh, Washington State is a border state, and we're dealing with problems, bigger problems than anybody in Texas is dealing with. And you know what that problem is? Canadians. We are riddled with them. (laughs) They are everywhere. I grew up in a border. And and the the even bigger problem that we have, the even bigger problem we have, not just Canadians play money that they bring into this country. They bring in their monopoly money and try to use it and try to pass it off. And it's like, this is only good for board games. This cannot be used here. When you go to hell, I want you to just ask God a few questions. They are preparing to invade. There's a reason that 95% of the population of Canada... (laughs) lives within a quarter mile of the border. They are preparing to invade. You uh, are a mess. And they're trying to get everyone along the northern border hooked on heroin, and that's what they're doing. Well... They, they are They, are, yeah, they, I are not, they are not... I don't to know be, to tell you. Canadians are not to be trusted in any way, shape, or... So there's that. Are we done here? I think so. Did you want to do anything with the uh, with the evangelical Bob Ross? Are we gonna say yeah, that for no. another time? Do it for I'm another good. Time. <laughs> Something we're done then. We're done. He did. Yeah, yeah we're, done. <laughs> we're done. We're done. He did what? what were I don't you know to say. I I want to go longer. I have to do. I'm oh, I have to do a radio interview. Okay, so we'll just get, maybe maybe we'll be able to hit it another time. But you know, the the, the he came out. and...
0: Church Boys.